Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given. And this week might be the first week ever that we get a smile out of Stephen Finn. Because let me explain, we are recording this on Sunday night. Finney has been driving, desperately racing home because he loves doing this podcast so much. So he's been racing home and he's been stuck in a bit of traffic. So he hasn't been able to watch the 100. But Daniel Norcross has been watching it on his behalf. And something very, very exciting indeed has happened because, and we discussed this weirdly only last week, Stephen Finn, ladies and gentlemen, no longer has the worst bowling figures in the history of the 100. Uh, Finn, you've literally just come in through the front door to this news. Immediately, how are you feeling? Um, relieved. I think, yeah, to no longer have the tagline of most expensive bowler ever in the 100 is something that's very satisfying and, and something that I've been longing for in every single game of the 100 that's been played this year, to be quite honest. <laughs> now, David Visa, do you know David at all? Is he a friend of yours? Have you slipped him a tenner to bowl this badly? Um, well, technically, he did it off 20 balls and I did it off 15. So, um, you know, it, it sort of some would argue that he's bowled better than me. But no, I, no, I'm not. I don't know David Visa very much. Um, I know that I'm next to him or I would have been next to him in the Sussex dressing room had he still been there because my locker is next to his old one. But no, it's... Um, I don't know him that well, but I'm sure I'll shake his hand and, and say thank you next time I see him. Yeah, buy him a beer if ever you meet him. Now, Daniel Norcross, I, I wasn't able to watch it because I was actually going through the table plan for my wedding, which, bloody hell, it's a minefield. So, Daniel, you were watching it. Talk, talk me through it, because how many runs had he gone for a run was. 15 balls? Because we talked about this last week. We thought, for Finney's terrible record to get beaten, somebody's going to have to have bowled relatively okay for 15 balls in order to get the final five. Yes. Now, you're not far wrong. Let me, let me picture, t- describe the scene for you. It's what I do. So, almost a year to the day since Finney's 
a tragic, tragic day, the day of disgrace when he was drenched in the stench of defeat, the day then the first 200 was ever scored in the 100, the Northern Superchargers, their fans going nuts. Uh, and Finney, you've got to say, as we've mentioned before, was very unlucky uh, in large parts of that. He bowled a series of change-up deliveries and uh, had a drop catch off him, crucial drop catch, where the ball bounced off the drop catcher off his head and into the boundary rope. So, you know, that should have been no runs it was for. Things like that kept happening. We're back at the same place, headingly. It's a complete road. This time, it's the originals against the superchargers, but the originals are batting first. Getting off to a fast start, Salt and Laurie Evans, who's in in place of Joss Butler, unavailable through injury. Laurie Evans, former Surrey man, of course, plays a crucially important captain's knock at the top, gets them off to a flyer, 100 off off 35 balls. They slow down a little bit. David Visa, we're getting now to balls 81 to 85. has got five balls left. And, you know, it was a sensible choice. He'd only gone for 36 in his previous 15, which in the context of the game, I assure you, was not too bad. And the options were, you know, a spinner. You're not going to do it. So they go to Visa. And my Finney dial wasn't really up there then because the 36, I'm thinking he's got to go for 16 off five. It's doable, but it's going to need a good start. Well, first ball, Stubbs, the man who looks exactly like Hugo Weaving playing um, Douglas Jardine in, in body line, whacks it 97 metre six. Suddenly I'm up, I'm ready, I'm excited and I'm on Twitter. I'm telling people to pray for Finney and I think they are. Karma is coming round. Retribution. Can it happen? Next ball. No. Back and across. Waiting for Visa to bolt to his arc. It's a length swing. Miss. Thank you, by the way. The copyright ESPN quick info. Ball three of the set of five. This now needs it needs to go, right? Because he's got to he's got to concede 10 off four. Now it's 10 off three. Next ball, it's just a single. Nine off two. There is no way. All hopes dashed. Everyone look away. Walter, Paul Walter, tall left-hander. Swats the next ball over square leg. It bounces away for four. I think, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. He's five runs away. He's now conceded 47. He's got to go for five. No point going for four. If they're both on 51, Finney's still got the record. Doesn't mean jack shit, does it? He's got to go for six. This ball has got to go for six. Well, bugger me if... David Visa didn't bowl an absolute <laughs> slot ball that got pumped 100 metres into the crowd and beyond. Finney is free. And just looking at the smile teasing across his face, to be able to put that horrible year behind him and now move on, I think this could rekindle England ambitions. Looking at the way England's bowlers could barely touch 83 miles an hour, I think this is the start of a new Finney. This could be a fork in the road moment for Finney. It really could be. Who was the batsman, by the way, that hit the six? Who else does Finney need to buy a beer other than Visa? It's Paul. It's, it's the enormously tall Paul Walter, mm. uh, the six foot seven of him. There you go. So Finney, Visa and Paul Walter, when you can, when you get a chance, if you could buy them a beer. And in a weird quirk of fate as well, who should be wearing the wicket-keeping gloves, watching this all unfold, but Finney's nemesis, John Simpson. John Simpson was behind the stumps with the front row seat watching Finney's figures be beaten as well. It's a it's a beautiful moment. It's all come full circle. Um, and it's easily the most exciting thing that's happened in the 100 ever. This this is what the 100 was designed for. Finney's retribution. And it's a beautiful moment. So, uh, uh, oh, 
I've, I've, I think, you know, whatever your concerns about the competition, whatever you think about the sort of general state of English cricket and uh, the lack of first-class cricket in August, I think we can all get behind this. I mean, this is what the 100 was, was set up to do, was to create these karmic moments of joy. I mean, could it, could it have been any more perfect unless it had actually been John Simpson bowling? But that is for an alternative universe. I, I completely agree. And genuinely, for people listening at home, Finney is genuinely smiling for the first time ever in the history of Zero Ducks Given. Finney is genuinely delighted. Um, well, Finney, congratulations on the, the end of your unwanted record. Um, the next record, the real final moment will be if anybody can beat Finney's 15 ball record. And so we'll have everything crossed for this tournament this year at some point. That's the next level. We're not going to that was, that's cruel. That's cruel. We're, we're not going to let Finney completely move on and draw a line under this at all. Now we do need to get on to uh, to the test the test match proper cricket if you like for those hundred naysayers and well where do we start really um, it wasn't Baz ball really it was more of the England from before Baz pre Baz if you like it was pre Baz England uh, England were a bit crap it is probably worth worth mentioning that that South African bowling attack is very very tasty and England did also. Lose a bad toss there. They had to bat in by far the most uncomfortable position. Finney, I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? How much do you, when you look at a test match like that, is it the quality of South Africa's bowling or on the flip side, is it not good enough for England to get bowled out for 165 and 149, regardless of the quality of the South African bowling attack? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's tricky to say exactly, isn't it, I think. But I do think that, um, the South Africans didn't allow England to play in the manner that they were allowed to by New Zealand because of the hostility of their attack. Um, I think that that plays a big part in it. And the fact that all four bowlers were pretty relentless with the way that they bowled um, and the aggression that they showed, I think they never let England settle or feel as though they were on top in the game. Um, so, so, yeah, I think it's partly that. You also, yeah, you have to say that getting bowled out for those totals um, isn't what you would expect of an England batting lineup, um, but also I, I was, it's not the end of the world. I wouldn't say that um, they're going to be sulking or dragging their heels going into the next Test match. Um, I think they'll they'll come in and they'll try and be even more positive um, and try and put a bit of pressure back on the South African bowlers because they didn't actually manage to do it ever in the Test match. I think that's what's going to be really interesting because there's an argument. England didn't even score particularly quickly if they're 165 all out and 149 all out. And this whole basball, and by the way, we'll come on to later in the podcast, an alternative name for basball. Um, there's an argument that the whole reason Brendan McCullum came in was that it can't get any worse. And that if England had just absolutely teed off, they might have actually got better scores than they did in this test match. Um, I want to ask you though, Finney, I was watching the Ooh. I was watching the test and you watch Rabada first, who's just, I mean, he's unbelievable. 250 test wickets at 22. And he's scarily still only 27 as well. It feels like he's been around forever. Um, you watch him and you're watching Giddy, and then you think, oh, phew, seen them off. And then uh, Marco Janssen came on and bowled very, very well, but he wasn't very quick. But then you've got Norkia, who's absolutely rapid. Why do you think over the years, I know at the minute we've got injuries with Stone, Archer and Wood, but there's no question over the years, why do South Africa and Australia produce more 90 mile an hour plus bowlers than England ever seen to? Well, I think the conditions are more conducive to it. I think it's as simple as that, that the wickets are harder, bouncier, faster, and they encourage that style of bowling more. 
they do play less cricket, whether that has a factor in keeping bowlers fresher and not burning them out when they're younger, I don't know. But certainly the conditions in Australia and South Africa are the best for fast bowling in the world. Um, and you have to be fast to survive there or have something different to survive there. Um, and I think that that's why it's no surprise that, that they do have more of those star bowlers. Um, speaking of Rabada, and I'd imagine that he probably features on this list, but as a bowler yourself, who do you in world cricket right now in love watching? Is there anyone that fast bowlers that you, you watch on TV? Um, I always loved watching Dale Stane. Whenever I played against him, I'd always make sure that I went out and watched whilst he was bowling. And Rabada, I'm doing the test match this week for TMS, and I'm really looking forward to watching Rabada bowl live. I've seen him bowl in test matches that I played against him, but he's that they were his first few test matches in 2016. I'm looking forward to the mature version of him, um, seeing him running and bolt because, yeah, I love watching fast bowling and, and that's great. And the other one I think is Pat Cummins. I love watching Pat Cummins bowl at the moment. Um, him and Hazelwood together, I think, is, is something that's really nice to watch. Um, and I enjoyed, although I'd rather seen England do better, but I enjoyed watching them operate through the ashes. Yeah, Pat Cummins. And he's so sexy as well. He's so good. Daniel Norcross, speaking of sexy, Daniel Norcross. Yes. Um, <laughs> what, what, what did you make of this? It was uh, it was sort of England of, of about mm. six months ago, basically. It felt like it felt like we'd been here before. I don't know. I disagree. The England of six months ago would have uh, lost quite boringly and a little bit more slowly. I mean, albeit that they did lose it in three days at Hobart, but there would have been a kind of attempt to prove that they were trying to gut it out and it would have failed. I thought it was basball. I thought actually both sides played basball. And the basball doesn't just mean smashing a ball to all parts. Basball means doing what Ben Stokes was doing, which was completely strange as a captain. With the score on 148 for two, he had five slips in. And, you know, at that point, South Africa was 17 runs behind England. If two balls went by and it felt like nothing was happening, there was a change. Suddenly, I, I stopped talking to Vic Marks and looked on the field. It looked like someone had vomited all over it. We had a short, long leg, a long, short leg. We had three... Uh, mid mid wickets making a strange isosceles triangle. No one in front of the square on the offside. A cordon at one point of fly slips, which is a phrase I never thought I'd hear myself saying. And it was fascinating and brilliant. Um, it's like very unconventional, and I don't think it cost England the match because you know what cost England, England the match was South Africa's relentless brilliance for the ball, winning the toss, electing to do the right thing, which. South Africans don't always do, you know, they could, he would have wanted to bat first, Elgar. Every instinct in his body said bat first, but he didn't. And it was a good toss to win. But England and under Stokes approach trying to get 10 wickets in the most eccentrically fantastic ways. And, you know, one minute you are looking at nuggety left-handers who wouldn't be able to buy a run when they were playing against Stephen Finn's England bowling dry outside off stump with a bit of a ring field and a couple of slips and a deep backward point, just having all of the offside to play with. There were hilarious moments when James Anderson, age 40, had to run all the way up to the Warner stand up the hill, go and collect the ball because he was standing at backward point. There was no one else there to go and, you know, stop an all run four. It was an all run four. It would have been a five otherwise. Um, it, it was just the maddest thing to commentate on. It de defied all of your sense of what you thought was the right thing to do at this moment. 
But it was basball. It was, we have to make things happen at all times. And when tailenders come in, we will bowl short. I mean, it just defied all cricketing sense to get a wicket off the second ball of the last on the last day with three overs left and a new ball available. And Stuart Broad and James Anderson at Lords, who'd taken 217 wickets between them at that venue, many of them with the new ball. When you got the new ball, keep Potts and Stokes on bowling bumpers into the wicket with the new ball. So none of it, none of it made any sense, but I don't think it actually made any material difference. And I think bowling South Africa out for about 320 was possibly about right on that wicket with those bowlers having not played any cricket for bloody yongs. Uh, Matt Potts, it showed massively with Matt Potts. He had not played, he played one red ball game since the end of the previous test series. And what was startling about Potts when we first saw him was his relentless accuracy. He gave nothing away. Alistair Cook said on commentary, you could do a podcast on his bowling called Jaffers and Junk. He either bowled it absolutely perfectly and it flew through or he bowled absolute dross. And I don't blame him for that. The schedule hasn't allowed him to be in Nick to, to do that. Now, the South African bowlers were a different matter. There was different gravy. Norkia was so fast, it was unbelievable. Rabada was completely uh, relentless. And Gidi got into it in the second innings. And Marco Janssen bowled the match. The one he got Joe Root out with, which was crucial in the first innings, absolutely crucial swung a bloody mile with a just clip leg stump everything that they that could go right for them did go right for them but they also had everything they had a six foot seven inch left arm swing bowler they had norkia bowling rockets they had rabada they had Ngidi. so you know um it was one of those games where everything went wrong but england went at 3.7 3.8 and over and south africa went at about the same because Stokes kept on leaving the entire field open for him. It was, it was fascinating to watch. And um, I, I enjoyed it. And I, I don't think that Stokes did anything necessarily particularly wrong. He, he demonstrated what, the, what basball is all about, which is that you must always be aggressive in any situation. You must attack your opponent. Yeah, well, I agree with everything you say, but uh, I do need to come back to one point you made there that really pissed me off during the Test match. And it's happened a lot recently with England. And basball or not, this decision that as soon as basically anyone batting from about seven and below, it seems, that they just bowl short. I mean, I get it if we had names I mentioned earlier, Stone, Wood, Archer in the lineup. But asking Matthew Potts, who has already shown us what he's good at, is relentlessly pegging away at the top of off stump. Asking Jimmy Allison and Stuart Broad, who have taken God knows how many wickets pitched up on and around off stump, to just run in and bowl bouncers because that's what they've decided to do before the test match. I mean, Anrik Norkia, he can't buy a run in test cricket, and yet they let him end up getting 28 not out of 42 because he survived a few bumpers initially. And then he was absolutely away. Finney, Finney, what do you make of it? We, what was the sort of plans when tailenders came in um, when you're in the England setup? Because I was I'm pulling my what I've got left of my receding hairline out at home when I watched tailenders come in and immediately bowlers bowl completely differently to them. Yeah, I was going to say that this week couldn't have been good for that hairline then, could it? If you're tearing it out, <laughs> Christ, that's, um, that is bad for everyone. I'm going to look um, like Norcross by the time my wedding comes round at this rate. Let's not get carried away. You look more like <laughs> Phil Mitchell. Um, I, um, <laughs> I, I think when I played, we had a mantra of kill the tail, which was very much you scare them and then you knock them over 
as in you you get them out. The short ball to tail enders is it it will get us out eventually, but it will we can score runs because we're not that silly. Like if you know it's coming every single ball, you just set for it and have a swing and you can get some away and the scoreboard can move quicker. But always you talk about bowling to a tail ender and killing the tail. It's about scaring them. So bowling them two bounces and over proper fast ones um, and then going back into your good length because the bouncer causes indecision in the tail ender's foot movement. And we don't play short pitch bowling as well as top order players. That's why we back down the bottom. So, yeah, so when you're talking about killing the tail or going after the tail, it's about yeah making them scared and then actually getting them out afterwards. This is the I, exact I, point. This is the exact point, Tobes, that they've got it into their head that the stats say that tail enders get out uh, at a better average off short balls than they do off full balls. But the thing is that if you bowl nothing but short balls and the way Stoke sets field, it's absolutely brilliant. It's completely planned. There's almost like, you know, like in, in body line, Harold, clap of the hands, and suddenly the field goes into these predetermined what look like places that take forever for you to describe on the radio. Um, and the, the bowl has already bowled by the time you've gone through them all. But the thing about that is that the short is taken as wickets because it's the surprise element or surprise element. It's one of the elements that a bowler bolt uses against the tail ender to set them up to get them out. Whereas if the tail ender completely knows what's happening, they're set up for it. And they know mm. that the full ball's never coming. And that's where I find it kind of infuriating. But at the same time, right, two things to put against that. South Africa lost their last three wickets and in that last morning for 39 runs. That's pretty much all right, isn't it? You you'd sort of take that. Uh, but to set against that fact, two of those three wickets were pitched up deliveries from Broad caught in the cordon, <laughs> a wide outside the off stump. And the other one was a complete specky of a catch from Broad, catching a pull from Rabada. So, um, you know, I wouldn't say the jury's out. It, it doesn't make any sense to be that inflexible. It also means that Jack Leach will never bowl at the tail. You know, so yeah. poor sod, he'll only ever get to bowl at the top six, you know. But I, I um, think that's what <laughs> infuriated me so much, as you say. It was bumper, 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 with no sign of a full ball coming at all. And then eventually Broad got the breakthrough, pitching one up, caught it second slip. Um, and I know they took those last three wickets for, for about 39 runs, but you have to say, overall, they had South Africa 210 for six, and then South yes, Africa it was, added 100, it was that partnership. Well, exactly. Thanks. That was um, yeah. that was and Maharaj, what, wasn't it? And off. I'll tell you what was infuriating about that was because it was near the end of the day, and the thing was, is that there's a certain sort of ADHD-ness about England, which can produce fabulous cricket and great results, but it can also, to the person who doesn't have ADHD, just go, "Hang on, chill. You've got 45 minutes left in the day, and the ball's a little bit old. You'll get a new ball tomorrow. If you bowl to a conventional field, you might get one that nips away, and you get one caught in the slips anyway." They're not going to score shitload runs. They scored 52 in five overs yeah. in Mulder and Scully, whatever his name is, Janssen and uh, Maharaj. It was unbelievable um, because they were given the opportunity to do that because Stokes does not want at any point to be sitting there drifting. And I, I think it's an admirable quality in a captain. I really, really do. And I think we've just got to learn to come to terms with the fact that he's going to do that, whether we think it's head-scratchingly mad or not, that is what is going to happen. And uh, and ride it, 
you know. <laughs> As I say, look, I, I agree. Like that's the whole point of this whole new exciting era. It's just with the bowling attack we've got, it just didn't. We don't have the bowling attack to do it. No, Spence you're right. Just bowling off one knee, bless him. I mean, it was I ridiculous. Um, but, anyway, he did, but, he, but he did. But he did bounce out. Um, was it earlier with an absolute, absolute snorter? snorter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you know? Did. I mean, he did. The, he, he'll say, "What the hell do you know?" And yeah, we'll probably have to say, "I'm not really sure what I fair do play. know, except I've watched for 47 years, and no one's ever done this before." Yeah, fair <laughs> play. Um, now, um, one person we do have to talk about in the England fold is uh, is 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 poor Zach Crawley, who um, yeah, look, I feel for Zach Crawley. You always feel like he gives 110. percent He's not trying not to score runs. Um, he's quite useful in the slip cordon as well. Um, I've never met the bloke, but I'm sure he's a lovely guy. Um, Brendan McCullum is always going to back him, which I, I do like that because I saw McCullum in an interview say, I can't ask these guys to go out and play this way and then drop them when it doesn't work. Um, but at what point, Finney, do you almost need to save Zach Crawley from himself? I think it was Mark Butcher saying that it's almost cruel to keep him in the team at the minute. Um, if you were, you know, in, in Zach Crawley's position, Finney, would you be desperate to stay in the team and constantly want another chance to score some runs or there's there come a time where you're like let me go back to my county play well get my confidence up get my technique right if you know whatever it is and and then return to the fold at a later date what, what do you reckon does he need to be saved from himself at some point well I do think there are a couple of caveats to that I think that it depends how he's feeling in himself I know that there are times where I've been playing for England and I've known that I'm not really in a in the right headspace or the right frame of mind to be able to go out there and, and give it everything. Um, and then you're fighting a battle with yourself rather than the opposition, which is probably the time that you need to get yourself out the firing line. But if he's going well in the nets, if he's feeling confident, then I think that, yeah, dropping him after one game of a series does seem... Sorry, my cat's literally waving its arsehole in my face. Here. Yeah, no, is, that, is, that, is that Ethel and her prolapse room again? No, that's Elizabeth. She's um, Elizabeth. She's she's tightly. Uh, she's slightly tighter down there. You know. Yeah. yeah oh my god. Oh, oh yeah, she is. Now, is yeah. Finney yeah. is now showing us Elizabeth's arsehole on on. Yeah. Dignity. Nothing but dignity on this program. Oh, and there she's she got, is. There's her ooh, face as well. She's got. She's got. <laughs> she's got quite a grumpy face generally. You know, Elizabeth. It's nice to put a face to the arsehole. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I'm all, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I do take your point. I'm meant to move back to poor Zach Crawley. I'm meant to move back to Zach Crawley after that. Uh, but genuinely, I, I do take your point fully about, you know, one test of a series, but he averages 26 over 26 test matches now, including that ridiculous mm. double hundred against Pakistan that seems a different lifetime away now. Um, but I think more worryingly, he's got a first class average of under 30 now, Zach Crawley. Um, he's a bizarre player because we all know why he's played for England so much is because when you see him play certain shots, you think this guy's, you know, this guy's got all the shots, all, all the all the talent in the world. But 84 first-class matches with a batting average of 29.36. Um, I guess he's got the luxury of nobody really hammering down the door, hasn't he, Norcross? Well, there's a couple of things that got to be said about Zach Crawley here. He averages... 18 in his last, I think, 18 matches. And Andy Zoltzman crunched the numbers. And the only two top-order batsmen in the history of Test cricket who have had such a bad run, batting from one to five, are Alec Bannerman, the brother of Charles Bannerman, who played in the very first Test match. And pitches were a bit shit then. And, you know, whatever. And nepotism. And the other one is Javed Omar, 
who was the opener for Bangladesh when they first played Test cricket. So, you know, it's quite a rude awakening for the poor lad to discover what Test cricket was like, especially in the era of brilliant fast bowlers um, like Glenn McGrath and similar. So, uh, and Alan Donald. So he, he didn't really stand a chance. And then you've got Zach Crawley. And I want to make an observation, but I have no idea if it is valid or not. But I was on commentary when he was out LBW in the second innings. So a ball from Maharaj, he put a great big boot forward, premeditated sweep to a straight ball. And Hawkeye showed that it was clipping the top of middle stump. He walked off, when he was given out, he walked off straight away, walked down towards Alex Lees, didn't seem interested in talking to him, just seemed interested in getting out of there. And I, I don't know if that was it, or if it was just the frustration of, you know, yet again, not hitting the ball, not doing what he wanted to do. But it, di- it didn't feel like a man who desperately, desperately wants to be there playing, you know, hitting the first ball of the next test match. And I, I, I don't know, but it just, it looked quite strange. And then you hear Brendan McCullum say, he's not the sort of player that's going to give you consistency. We're just looking for match-winning innings. And I kind of always think that that's something that I might want out of my number six bowling all-rounder batting, bowling, all-rounder. I'm not sure that's what I want off my opening batter. You know, that Mm. seems like a strange quality because what you want is to to find as much consistency as humanly possible at the top of the order, I would have thought. Um, So I think there's an awful lot of looking after Zach Crawley going on. And I don't think there's any real case for keeping him in the team at the moment. But I think it's a lot of psychobabble for us to try to work Mm. out what's going on in his head because it's his head. But I also... Yeah, but I also do think that the coach is never, ever going to come out the day of the test match, the day that the test match ends, without having spoken to selectors or the captain or Zach Crawley himself and not defend him, I think. Yeah, like, I don't true. think that's ever going to happen. So I think that needs to be taken with a pinch of salt because they can still drop him for the next test match and and they can give more context around it when they do drop him. It's part of the problem, Finney, that it's... It must be difficult in that sort in that sort of environment in a in a you know top level sporting changing room in any sport. It must be really difficult to you have to have confidence and and certainly display a bit of confidence and stuff. So even you touched it there when you didn't feel in the right headspace to play for England. But if they say we you're going to play tomorrow, you're never going to turn around and say. I don't. Oh, oh, I don't think I'm in the right space here because that's not how. That's not how it works. You're never going to save yourself from yourself, if that makes sense. No, no, no. You would never actually exactly. pull out of a game. You just sat there praying that you get injured or you bowl too much in the practice <laughs> the day before and pray that your calf goes or something. But the, yeah, the it's an interesting conundrum because yeah, the the challenge is that you you're always working your entire life to get this opportunity to play for England. So then when it comes, and if you're going to play a game, even if you're not feeling a great headspace, you still, the thing that keeps us going back to the well is the hope and optimism that it's just going to click at mm. some stage. But then you get yourself into a spiral when it doesn't click and you go to the next game, you think the next thing it's going to happen there. It doesn't. And you end up in this spiral down motion where you become a, a shadow of yourself on the field. And I think a lot of people do experience that at some stage through their career. We hope, well, you hope that Zach Crawley's not going through that right now. 
and that he can come back and find some form and and score runs, whether that's for Kent or whether that's for England in this next Test match. You don't want them someone to have to go through the whole process of um, of building their confidence back up because I've been there and that's not a pleasant thing to have to do. Yeah. Um, but also there is an element of sometimes if the management are sensing the fact that you know you can sense when you're with someone these guys are with each other 18 hours a day like you you end up getting a sense for how someone is on practice days at meals at stuff like that um and the coaches and and the guys around them and Ben Stokes will make that decision what they think is best for Zach and the team yeah no, it's, it's yeah, it's interesting. I like I said, I just can't imagine you, no player would ever put their hand up and oh, I don't know if I should play, play tomorrow, Scaffer. Um, um, now, let's, let's move yeah, on. But one thing, sorry, to, 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 sorry, sorry, very quickly though, that it seems to me that the only way that he's not in the team in Manchester on Thursday is if Harry Brook opens, right? Mm. Or, you can't do that. No, well, I, I don't, I don't think you can either. You can't play someone in their first Test match. I that and bat them that far out of position somewhere that they've never batted before. And I think they'll, surely they've learned from their mistake of batting Ollie Pope too high before he'd ever batted that high in a first-class game. They batted him at four, didn't they, in his first test yeah. series. And he, yeah. and that ended up stuffing his confidence up. So I think they'd be foolish to do that for Harry Brook's sake. The other option, the other option is that Bairstow takes the gloves and you drop folks and then you can bring... Brook into the middle order. That's the only, those are the only changes I can see from that squad that you can make. I mean, the only now other now and Thursday question and, is, and both of them seem a bit weird. The Sibley and Ben Duckett scored big, Ben Duckett scored big runs for the England Lions just recently against South Africa. But you're right, I don't, they're not going to bring anyone into this squad. So look, I think Zach Crawley's going to play this second test match. McCullum's not going to publicly back him and then. And then drop him, I don't think. So, look, what uh, what all England fans would like to see, no one's got anything against Zach Crawley as a person at all. What we'd like to see is Zach Crawley go out there and do what he did against Pakistan a few years ago. So, um, yeah, I think he's going to play the next Test match. And then if he, he fails the next Test match, probably this time next week, we'll be discussing the alternatives. But at the minute, um, I certainly, I, as you say, I don't think they're going to put Brooke up to the top of the order. Um, now, I want to move on because in the county game, a bloke who I've always felt very sorry for, um, has retired. Not that he cares about my sympathy, uh, but James Hildreth has announced that he's going to retire from from county cricket. Now, is he is he been a victim of ageism his entire career? Because a batting average of forty one over two hundred eighty six first class matches, and he just seemed to be wrong place, wrong time. Whenever the England middle order was going through a reshuffle, well, he was stuck behind that ridiculous middle order for many years, and then when that middle order finally broke down. He was sort of touching 30 and the selectors decided to go the other way and, and go young. Um, Finney, I mean, it's, is he an example of sort of ageism sometimes that we've accused the England selectors of over recent years, where sometimes you should do what the Australians are doing, just pick your best batsman if it's Kawaja or Rogers. I'm not sure about ageism. I think it might be a touch extreme. Um, <laughs> I think that he might have suffered from the fact that people have just perceived Taunton as a place where you're just guaranteed to score runs, um, regardless of how good a player you are. He's obviously an outstanding player and probably has been unfortunate not to play for England at all with the amount of runs that he's consistently scored over the last 15 years. But I also think that to break into the team batting at Taunton, I think unfairly probably, I think you have to do you have to score a lot more runs than anyone else does in order to bang the door down because people just perceive Taunton as a place where 
you turn up and you score big hundreds and that's it. So yeah, rather than ageism, maybe he's been a, a victim of Tauntonism. It's maybe also yeah. so unfair, isn't it? Because Taunton is also perceived as a place where when they've got two spinners out, they create these ragging turners. It's absolutely impossible to bat on so you get a result wicket. Somerset is basically a place where we project all of our hatreds about cricket. The, the, well, all the ones that we, that we don't reserve for Surrey, which is about them having too much money. But Somerset's pitches are either too good, a bit like the Oval, or they're way too bad and they should be docked points. It's, <laughs> I do sometimes, look, don't get me wrong. I don't feel sorry for Somerset because I really enjoy the fact that there is a team out there that keeps on coming second and did so over and over and over and over again. And I love them for it because I love the despair. I love the storyline of despair that comes with Somerset. And actually, if they won the county championship, then it would take away their unique selling point, which is that they've never won the county championship. So they should embrace it and love it. But, but at the same time, I do think people are a bit unfair to Somerset and to Taunton and to James Hildred. And you know what he reminds me of? A player that Philly will probably have, he would have played against, I'm sure, David Sales, uh, North Hans. Yeah, he was just a, he, he was, he was such a naturally gifted striker of a ball. But for some reason, you know, he was at an unfashionable county in inverted commas. Um, selectors supposedly don't go there. And I also kind of suspect that David was quite happy to just be at North Hans. I kind of imagine him like the old pro at a club, just propping up the bar and smiling and laughing. A bit like the sort of Steve Beaton of, uh, <laughs> of cricket without there the world. Is- title there is definitely unfavorable counties you mentioned it there it's a bit like the england national team as soon as you signed for manchester united even if you get picked by england if you even if you've come from any other table if you play for man u liverpool man city chelsea you're immediately in the england setup without whether you've played well for that term or not i mean tom cleverly had made about 60 appearances for england just because he played for manchester united it definitely happens in the county game as well if you play for surrey you're in the England team at some point. You play for Northamptonshire. You got to play bloody well to get in that England team. Poor Chris Dent at Gloucestershire. Oh, I yeah. mean, if he was if he was open the bat for Surrey, but he'd have 120 Test matches under his belt by now. Um, no, now he'd, he'd, have, he'd, have had, he'd have had 26 Test matches. Yeah, he'd 26. have an average of about 30, and people would be constantly complaining that he only got the gig because he was from Surrey. <laughs> That's exactly true. Um, now, Finney, <laughs> do you remember last week that you were desperately searching for some decent bowling boots? Yes. Check the Zero Ducks Given WhatsApp group. We've had a tweet from Dan Taylor. He says, hi, Finney. I found these on Facebook Marketplace. Are these the boots that you're after? No. Okay, good. <laughs> Short answer. Okay, good. That's, that, that's great radio, that. Uh, okay, Dan Taylor. Uh, Dan, thank you for your tweet, but no, that's not the boots you're looking for. Finney, Thanks for your effort, but fucking listen to what I say next time, man. <laughs> yeah, size 12 I said the green half. ones. Green, they are green CK4040 bowling boots. These are this year's version. Surely okay. you can just like paint them green if you want, can't you? Just get like a Sharpie. Yeah, but that, that wouldn't change the fundamental elements of the bowling boot, though, would they? That is well, what I don't I'm after. Know. I don't yeah, know. But... Is, it, is, it like, is it like the old, like what were they called? Green flash, blue flash, white flash. Do you remember them? Dunlop. They came back, didn't they? Old. I'll tell you what, this is an interesting question here. Well, I mean, only interesting for a saddo like me, but because I'd like to see the difference between Finney's and Norcross's. Stephen Finn, when you were a kid, what's your first ever cricket bat? Um, mine was a V100, Slazenger V100 Classic. Warzone. 
classic. See, but I, it was, I was the it was the Mark War Warzone one. Oh, very nice. I was a uh, I was a Kookaburra Bubble Pro, which was you were. Unbelievable. Fucking rich, spoiled brat. Yeah. That's what you well, are. Well, both of you. Both of you. What do you <laughs> well, mean, both of you? Mine was like a second-hand thing. You've got, you got a Slazenger V100. I got my, my parsimonious Yorkshire granddad bought me a Wisden bat because Wisden seemed like a good name. Wisden bats never took off. They were pressed as hard as humanly possible. There was no sweet spot. All of it was edge. <laughs> chipped away and chipped away until... My aunt Janet died of emphysema in 1979, and I convinced Fuck my dad up. to get me a grey nickels pro balance with the inheritance. <laughs> that might be. I think that's the most Daniel Norcross sentence you've ever said. <laughs> when my auntie died in 1979, I convinced my dad to buy me a grey nickels with the inheritance. Is the most Daniel Norcross thing you've ever said. I think it might be my favourite sentence ever. Um, Poe Balance. Well, Poe Balance was my favourite batter at the time was David Gower. So, well, and then... Uh, it had two, two, two different ridges. It was ridiculous. Uh, was it the one with the two ridges down the back? Was it That's that right. It had two, well, it had two ridges and then, uh, and then no ridges and then two little ridges at the top. So you had two yeah. sets of two ridges. It was unbelievable. I mean, the scoop was big at the time. Everyone loved the fucking scoop. But the scoop was, the scoop was for uncultured biffers. The mm. Pro Balance was for the articulate, beautiful wordsmith of a player, which is, of course, what I was, and David Gower. Well, I after the 2005 Ashes, I used all my birthday and Christmas presents combined to build the entire woodworm from head to toe get-up after the 2005 Ashes because I wanted to be like Kevin Peterson, uh, despite batting at number 11. But I'm talking woodwork, helmet, gloves, leg pads, spikes, oh, the works. And then the uh, K- KP had the yellow woodworm, and Flintoff had the other one. And do you remember they had the little grooves in the edges yeah. at the top, which were purely a gimmick. They were purely just to be a bit different, right? But God, I fell for that gimmick. And I, oh. don't, re- I don't regret it. Have you got any pictures? Have you got any pictures of you dressed in the entire getup looking God, moderately so. cute? I'll, I'll try and find you some next week. But uh, I also used to bat with a bandana because Chris Gale. So I was just a prick, really. To sum you up, know, you I know, was a prick. You should, you should bat with a bandana because kinesthesis proves that you lose strength if you allow your head to come straight into contact with plastic. So the bandana, which is worn by people like Mahela Jaiwardner and Chris Gale, it's all part about um, stopping the electrical link that reduces your life force. I will prove it to you when I see you in person by the simple expedient of putting a smaller bit of cellophane on your head and trying to pull one of your arms down and you will have no strength against my wizened Mr. Burns-like arms and you will not know what's happened and you will then forever wear a bandana. Well, I I can't wait to see you soon, Dad, if that's what's waiting for (laughs) me. (laughs) Uh, And finally, speaking of Mr. Burns, Daniel Norcross, can you talk us through the T-shirt that you're wearing? Yes, well, it's very important this because Steve-O, we support Steve-O, don't we, in every way? Darren Stevens, and this is, yes. Darren Stevens, and we have, and there's a marvellous T-shirt that's just come on sale. I hope you can see parts of it. Uh, you can get it from the Wisden shop, by the way. Uh, it's got a, a beautiful kind of size, sultry picture of Darren Stevens right in the middle. And it says, a curious case of Darren Stevens, obviously referring to the curious case of Benjamin Button, and it's done as a film poster because he seems to get better the older he gets. And there's, uh, it says, Steve-O's going to get you along here, five stars, which is, of course, the name of the WhatsApp group that the Australians have. 
and then it has various reviews down here um all of which are fantastic go to the wisdom shop you'll be able to find them there and uh, uh i just wanted to wear it in tribute to darren stevens and hope that we may be able to make some money because i'm i'm running out of lentils and baked beans and there's a cost of living crisis and you know we need anything we can get our hands on well, if people want to tweet us down. at Zero Ducks Pod or message us on Instagram at Zero Ducks Pod and let us know what merchandise you would like from us. Have you always wanted a Stephen Finn Pez dispenser, for example? Ooh, Whatever it is, idea. tweet at Zero Ducks Pod or drop us a message on Instagram at Zero Ducks Pod as well. And that the last that leads me to the last thing that I want to talk about on this week's podcast. And that is last week we were looking for an alternative name to Basball. And Daniel suggested that we do what the Germans do, which is where you just kind of combine lots of words together for one neat, easy word. And thank you very much to Anna who messaged us saying, okay, so I set my German friend the puzzle by describing what Basball was. And these are the two options that he has come up with. So now my German isn't great. I'm going to warn you in advance. So there is either Seltzerbuster Gerval Präsitionswerf which I think is catchy and rolls off the tongue. Uh, that means confidence, okay. precise, confidence, precise aggression. Or we can have Gewalt Precision's Optimus Ball, which I like a lot. Uh, and that means precise aggression, optimism ball. Now, <laughs> I think Gewalt Precision Optimismus Ball could be a winner going forwards. So oh, uh, yeah. if you two could learn how to pronounce that for next week so that we no longer have to say Basball anymore, that would be great. Uh, Finney, I'm going to leave you and your your fetching linen shirt, um, and I'm going to go and let you lie in bed and stare up at the ceiling and know that you no longer have bowled the most expensive spell ever in the 100. Um, and what you do with your alone time on the bed with that information in your mind is none of my business. But have a lovely rest of your week, sir. Thank oh, you, you uh, too. And uh, I've got some good news for you, Finney, that uh, actually there's a guy called Stanley. That's his surname. I don't know He's gone for yeah, Mitchell Stanley, I saw that, yeah. He's not going to bowl his full 20, though. No, but Andre Russell might bowl 15, and his first five went for 14. So that's in the sort of ballpark, you never know. And uh, my last piece of business is, of course, um, great to see you all doing a little bit better in fantasy football. Um, I was up to 11th, I think Finney was 99th, uh, Toby was about 40th. But I had a, I had a really bad Newcastle Man United game. Uh, but j- just so as you know, my method for those of you at home who are wondering how I can be beating these scions of fantasy football, uh, I-, I picked up eight points this week because my uncle Tony had a 60th wedding anniversary. And apparently there's a guy who plays football called Tony. And I put him in the team and he got eight points. And that's quite good, isn't it? I couldn't believe we did that because I've got Ivan Tony on my side. And when I saw you'd put him in and got eight points as well, I was fuming. By the way, Finney, whilst I've got you, I need to talk about <laughs> Daniel Norcross's FPL team. Did you know that you could do a formation like that? Norcross is playing a 5-2-3 formation. I What's didn't even know that? that was an option. I didn't know you could do 5-2-3. I know you could have five defenders. Yeah. So Norcross, I'm pretty sure that's an illegal formation you put out there. Only you would get away with that sort of ball. He's got a 5-2-3. I just, I, I, I just looked at the way people score points and thought that made more sense. Right. Well, I'm absolutely fuming about it. All these years, <laughs> I've never known that that was even a choice. Uh, anyway. You chaps, have a lovely week. We'll see you next week when hopefully we'll be talking positively about an England victory and also about a Zach Crawley double hundred. I'll see you then, boys. I'll see you at Manchester, Finney. Farewell. Yeah, can't wait. 
<laughs> That's more like it. Yeah. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.